0: The average human being will achieve some truly remarkable feats in the course of their life. You will achieve some truly remarkable feats. Uh, You will dribble 250 litres of saliva. Admittedly, 150 of those will have happened in your first year of life, but you will blink 415 million times, give or take A couple of million. In fact, you've probably blinked a few times just in the course of that sentence. You will grow 15 metres worth of fingernails. You will spend eight years at work, three and a half years eating, six months on the toilet and two whole weeks kissing. You will shed 23 kilos of dead skin and grow nearly a thousand kilometres of head hair. Although perhaps even more impressive is that you will grow 185 centimeters. That's my height of nasal hair. You will eat 150 kilograms of chocolate. Some of us are already there. And eight spiders. But what does it all amount to? A thousand kilometers of head hair, 185 of nasal hair, eight spiders that you're going to eat. And for what? On average, that will take you around about 80 years now, is roughly life expectancy. But what's the point? What's the meaning? Why? Now, in Ecclesiastes so far, we have seen two big ideas that have come up time and time and time again. And the first one is this, that everything is meaningless. That life is futile, it's, it's a vapour, it's that breath that's there for one moment and then it's gone. It's like a mist of the morning, the sun comes out and burns it away. That everything we might desire or aspire to or chase after or pursue, anything we might see in ourselves or in others is nothing. And it is nothing because of death. In the face of the imminent and inescapable death of each one of us, anything we might pursue in the end comes to nothing. The second big idea that we've seen, though, is that there is a better way and a worse way to live. It is better to be wise. It is better to enjoy what you have rather than being a fool or being downhearted. Just don't think about it too much, Solomon has said. See, without God, as we consider the world under the sun, life without reference to God, in the end, it's futile. Now, these two themes, ide- two themes, these two ideas, are kind of joined together into this chapter. This is our second last in this series. Next week will be our very last one at the end of chapter 12. But Solomon joins them together, particularly that idea of enjoyment. Life is futile and meaningless, but you might as well enjoy it, particularly in your youth. Enjoy your youth, if you can, that is. Have a look with me. And I'm reading from Ecclesiastes in the Bible, from the seventh chapter, and this is from sentence number seven. He says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Let him remember the days of darkness since they will be many all that comes is futile rejoice young person you see he says enjoy life now if you can enjoy your days while you are able to because the future is coming and the future is not a pleasant place no he says enjoy your youth sentence number nine he says rejoice young person while you are young And let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the desire of your eyes. You see, he says there's a time to rejoice. We saw a couple of weeks ago there's a season for everything. And there is a season to rejoice in your youth. While you are young and have energy and passion. While you care about things still. While you know everything. I'm I'm starting to get to the age now where that's beginning to fade. Mid-30s seems to be the turning point. You start to realise how little you know. Your body starts to slowly give way. My knees are now, I have old man knees. Enjoy your youth while you can. While you don't fall asleep in front of the TV like your parents do. While your metabolism can cope with anything you throw at it. Eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, caffeine after 3pm. Why not? Enjoy it while you can. Now I feel like I don't need to tell you that though, to enjoy life. Because really, that's the Aussie way. In fact, you could almost call that the Aussie religion. Pleasure. Hedonism is the word for it. The pursuit of pleasure. Decisions based on what will bring me the greatest pleasure. Live the good life. That, 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 that could just about be Australia's tourism motto, if you like. Immigration. I can't think of a better example than what happened just a couple of days ago, last weekend, the long weekend. And what happened? I mean, we're in the middle of this pandemic still and everything's been locked down. But all of a sudden we had the opportunity to go and enjoy a long weekend. And the traffic on the M1 was at a standstill because there were so many people pursuing a good time now i'm not going to begrudge it i went away i mean it's of course we're going to go and enjoy ourselves right but this is the aussie way we make our decisions based on what will bring me the greatest pleasure we get an invitation to something we stop and think about who will be there what will it be like will it be fun will it not be fun what if i get a better invitation later In fact, some of us even say yes to invitations and then we get what we consider to be a better one and we'll renege on this one and go to the other one instead. What will bring me the most pleasure? We're not concerned with eternal life. We're concerned with eternal growth, more fun, more wealth, more money, more time off, more opportunity to retire early and enjoy myself. It becomes the basis of our morality. Does it feel good? Well, then do it. Does it feel right? Well, then it must be. As long, of course, as it doesn't hurt others. As long as it doesn't diminish other people's pleasure. Then go for it. Just stop and look for a moment at what is worshipped in our culture. I mean, it's sex, that one's easy to see. But youth, this desire, this endless quest to be younger, to be tighter, to be fitter, to be more energetic, to be toned. If ah, if that's a word. These are all the heroes of our culture. They're, they're always young and fit. They're always in their prime, or at the very least, they're the be- most beautiful version of where we're at that we can think of. And it goes. It reveals our fears, our fear of growing old. I won't look as good. I won't have as much energy to be able to do. I won't recover as quickly anymore. I won't be able to have as much fun. There's one particular character that I think describes this better than any others. See if you can work out who I'm talking about. It's a young lady. I'll tell you, I won't tell you her first name. That would give it away. But she's something, Millicent Roberts. She's blonde. She's an absolute bombshell. She has the perfect body smart educated talented she's she's had more than 50 careers including being an astronaut and an olympic athlete and a surgeon she was born in 1959 and every little girl has owned her since do you know what i'm talking about well of course it's the barbie doll right did you know that there are two barbies sold every second around the world If you took all the Barbies that have ever been made and laid them head to toe, they would circumnavigate. They would go around the world three and a half times over. This perfect, glamorous, beautiful image of what we wish we could be. And so we have the makeup and the silicon and the surgery and the Botox and that's just the men. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine, now I get that there's medicinal uses for Botox, but injecting poison into yourself in order to stop the wrinkles from appearing. Having your eyebrows, the number one plastic surgery in Australia is eyebrow modification, I don't even know what you call it. We spend, Australians spend more on cosmetic surgery on average than anyone else in the world. What a thing to be champion at. Why? Because we want to look young. We want to capture that which was once moving away. Now, is Ecclesiastes endorsing this? Is Ecclesiastes saying that hedonism is the way to live? If we are to enjoy youth while we have it, should we therefore pursue youth and pleasure with everything that we have? Well, no. No, and there are two big differences to what Solomon is going to say compared to what our culture says. Two big differences. The first is this. The first is, do not discount God. Have a look again at sentence nine. Rejoice, young person, while you are young. Let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the desires of your eyes. But know that for all of these things, God will bring you to judgment. Oh, enjoy your youth. By all means, make the most of it while you've got it. But know that a day will come, somehow, sometime, when you will have to give an account. When you will face the creator of everything who knows every thought and every deed and every decision you take. And he will judge you for it. Enjoy yourself. But don't forget God. That's the big difference. Our culture would quite happily bury their heads in the sand and ignore God completely. The second difference is, realize that youth is fleeting. Oh, enjoy it while you've got it, but know that it won't be here for long. Have a look at verse 10. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh, because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. It's in the end, youth doesn't give meaning to life any more than age does or doesn't. You might as well enjoy it because it won't last. There is a season for it. So by all means, get into it and enjoy it, but let go when it's done. Let go because the future is coming and the future under the sun is a very dark place. The future is coming, Solomon says. Chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, So remember your Creator, In the days of your youth, before the days of adversity come, and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. Remember God when you're going out there and enjoying your youth. Remember God because the days of darkness are coming, the days of adversity. And Solomon describes these days for us with a bit of a poem, some lovely or not so lovely images as the case may be. He says like this over oh, the days when you say I oh, have no delight in them before the sun and the light are darkened and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain on the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop the women who grind grain cease because they are few and the ones who watch through the windows see dimly the doors at the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades when one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper loses its spring, the caperberry has no effect, for the mere mortal is headed to his eternal home and mourners will walk around in the street. That's a grim picture, isn't it? The eyes that fail the hands that tremble, the backs that stoop and grow weak, the ears that are stopped and grow dull, the hair or what's left of it goes grey, the hair that grows where it ought not to grow, tufts, the legs that stiffen and the other things that don't stiffen anymore. Age is coming. And so, what we do is we say dumb things like live hard and die young. The Time magazine, one of the episodes in, uh, in 2011, had this on the cover. And the tagline reads, More people are behaving as if they will never grow old. And the article was very positive. It was talking about the uh, increasing age expectancy, life expectancy, how you're going to get older before you die, and all the science behind trying to understand why it is that we age and why it is that our cells fail and why it is that eventually we die. It was very positive. And look, in all fairness, we live in an amazing age. In Jesus' time, right, 2,000 years ago, the average life expectancy was about 30 it's hard to think of Jesus at 33 dying, being an old man. right? That's, that's a different thing altogether. I mean, the numbers are skewed because of the deaths of the young. But even the 1900s in Australia, late 1800s, early 1900s, the average age expectancy for the Australian person was around 50. Now, children born today will likely live to be somewhere between 80 and 85. Modern medicine is amazing. We have made great progress. Astonishing things are happening. And yet, all we are achieving is delaying the inevitable. We had uh, one of our members, Joyce, turned 95 this week. Congratulations, Joyce. What an achievement. What an astonishing thing. And yet... In the end, age comes and death will take us all. And so we we joke about it. We don't want to face it. We don't want to face our own mortality. Stop being so negative, David. Stop being so glum and down. Let, let, let's just laugh and enjoy, right? You, you go and look it up. Google, you know you're getting old well and you'll spend hours laughing, right? You know you're getting old when you and your teeth no longer sleep together. <laughs> you know you're getting old when you you try and stretch out your socks and then you realize you're not wearing any, right? It's just, we think these are funny. You know you're getting old when you think getting lucky now means managing to find your car in the car park again. What a laugh! We joke because we struggle to cope. We can't handle that reality that age is coming, the days will grow dim, and death is waiting. But, death is not the end. Death is not all that there is. Again, look at what Solomon says. Enjoy your youth before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken into the well and the dust returns to the earth as it once was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You see, death is not the end. Remember God before death comes, before that which was precious is damaged and broken beyond repair. Remember him before you breathe your last, before you return to your maker, before you will meet him. And it's not going to be a pleasant meeting. It's not the pop culture, God, lovely angels, harps. woo. It's a meeting with a judge. A meeting which has, well, one of two outcomes really. Either it will result in glorious joy for eternity or in devastating unhappiness. The Bible is very clear, hell is real. That judgment has severe consequences. To find yourself on the wrong side of that judgment, well, I don't think I'll have to describe it. Again, we're not talking about the silly cultural hell is just a lovely place where all my friends are. (laughs) Haha, what a great party. I can skate. right? It's not that. We know what hell is like. The Bible is very clear. Now, of course, you might ask, well, why should I believe the Bible? If the Bible says hell is real, okay, sure, but why should I believe it? That's a good question to ask. It's a question that is worth asking of anything that you know or think about. Whether it is what the Bible teaches, why should I believe the Bible, whether it's what your grandmother told you, why should I believe grandma, or your parents, or your friends, or anything you read, it's a question you ought to ask about your own thoughts. Why do I believe them? And we need to go and explore evidence, not just what feels good, not just do I like what this means for my life, but does this match the reality of the world around me? Now, I believe the Bible... Because of the evidence. And I believe what the Bible has to say about hell because of the person who teaches about it. Namely, Jesus. And I believe the Bible because of Jesus' resurrection. That is, his coming to life again. Somebody who died but is now alive. And I'm not talking about coming to life again as in like one of those CPR things. I saw the light at the end of the tunnel and it was glorious or whatever, right? One of those near-death experiences. I'm talking about life where he defeated death. That is, he will never die again. He has passed through this into eternity. He has sorted it out. I believe him about hell because he's been there. He's seen it. And because of his resurrection, he will be the one who judges. I believe the Bible because of the historical event of Jesus defeating death. You can go and look up the evidence for that. And honestly, I think it's overwhelming. That's why I believe the Bible. I think you should too. You see, this judgment is coming. At the end of our lives, the other side of death, we meet God and God judges through his son, through Jesus. He's going to be the one sitting on the judge's throne. And the judgment is based on our lives. All of it. And I can tell you now, we fail. There's no if or maybe or perhaps or will I. We fail. Completely. Utterly. Well, does that mean there's going to be no one in heaven then? Does that mean that all of this is for nothing? Well, no. No, because there is something you can do. There is a difference between those who will end up in heaven and those who end up in hell. And the difference is you sort things out with God now. You see, on the other side of death, at the judgment, it's too late. If you wait until then, you will fail that judgment. If you're somebody who thinks to themselves, Ah, look... When I'm a bit older, I'll work it out. Maybe when I have kids, I'll sort it out. Maybe at my deathbed, I'll, I'll sort it out at my deathbed. How about that? Don't wait. Because odds are that at your deathbed, you won't want to either, or you're going to die without realising it. Sort the things out now. It's like it's like a judge, right? You picture a judge, courtroom, wig and gown, and all. I don't know if our judges do that, but whatever, all that kind of gear. right? And on the weekends at home, He goes out into kind of the the dodgy neighborhood and goes and finds the troublemaker and says to them, you've got to sort your life out. I want to help you. I want to do everything that you need in order to make sure that you do well. Can I help you? I want to give you a chance. I want to give you another chance. I want to keep giving you all the chances you need. Please come sort it out now. And that young guy says, ah, nah, Don't, don't worry about it. I'll be right. Until the day when that person gets brought before the magistrate, before the judge in the courtroom. It's too late now. Now justice will fall. And the first step to sorting things out with God now is to acknowledge the need to sort things out. To acknowledge that things aren't okay. That our relationship with God is messed up. In fact, you know what, that's why we die. (laughs) Look, science and Chemistry and biology, astrophysics, they can all help us describe the mechanics of death. The entropy in our cells, the the failure to replicate properly, they can help us understand all of those things. But it is our relationship with God that tells us why we die, the reason for it. There's a sentence in the Bible that puts it very simply. It says, the wages of sin are death. What we are owed, what we deserve because of how we treat God, our sin, our rebellion against him, is death. Which makes sense. You reject the giver of life. What else is left? Death because of sin. But you know what? That sentence doesn't stop there. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Death is in the world because of us. Life is available because God is kind. Because God wants to offer it to you. Because of Jesus' resurrection, remember, brought to new life, defeated death. He didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve the wages of sin. He was the one innocent person in the whole history of humanity. He was the only one who did it right. So what he did was, took my wages... Took yours. Okay, this is where the the language doesn't quite work because wages are generally positive things. This is where he took my punishment. Where he took, well, yours, if you will but accept him. If you choose, he chose to accept our wages in our place such that when I trust him, when you trust him, God declares already paid, done. That death already died. So please, please sort things out now. This really, really, really matters. Acknowledge that you don't deserve anything and accept the gift that he offers you. There is nothing more important than this, period. There is nothing more important now. There is nothing that you might be busy about or preoccupied with, that you might be concerned about in our world and the circumstances that are happening, that you fear, that you are excited about. There is nothing more important than that simple truth. Sort things out with God now. I'd love to help you. I really would. I'd love to hear your story, to hear where you're at, and to help you know how you can sort things out with God now. Please reach out. I want to finish with just three quick reflections on what Solomon has said. Three quick reflections. Number one, don't waste your time with worry. Enjoy what you have, Solomon says. Don't spend your whole life worrying about what's going to come in the future such that you never enjoy the day that you are in. Look around you. Step outside your own head. Thank God for the good things he gives you and enjoy them, particularly if you're still young. Now, I know, I know young people can do it tough too. I know some of our young people do it really tough. I know that's true. But you also have amazing blessings. You have opportunities that are astonishing. You have resources that some of us never had. You have the ability to enjoy your life. Don't waste that. But secondly then, don't waste your time pursuing youth. Right, if you're already past it and the young years are kind of gone, well, it's okay, they're gone. There was a season for them and that season is gone. Don't waste your money and your time and your energy trying to dress up mutton like lamb, right? Just accept it. But thirdly then, and most importantly, don't waste your time ignoring God because that is the true waste of time. You waste your time ignoring God and you could have used that time for something amazing. Sort things out with God now. It's the best possible use of your time. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember the one who now offers you peace and life and a way into everlasting joy in heaven with him. And if you have accepted the Lord Jesus, if you have put your trust in Him and accepted this gift that God has to give for you, then can you please rest in Him? In the midst of everything that's going on right now, it can be so easy to get overwhelmed. Instead of remembering, our God is for us. And if He has given us His Son, how will He hold back any good thing? He is your loving Father. Trust him to care for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have done what was needed, that in your kindness you offer life, that you give us that which we need to go through judgment, to to be able to somehow have any hope of eternal joy in heaven with you we thank you that you did that at great cost to yourself in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are young, may they enjoy their youth. Give them the ability to do that. For those whose youth has passed, Father, may they set their eyes on you and yearn for the day when you make all things new. And Father, for all of us, teach us to remember you, to see the world clearly, not without you, but with you at its heart, at its centre. Father, teach us to trust, and so please fill us with peace. Fill us with confidence, knowing that this world is in your hands, our lives are in your hands, and that having given the Lord Jesus for us, you will hold back no good thing. And we ask this, Father, that we might live in this world as your children and as your ambassadors, sharing this glorious news with all that we know. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.